Okay, guys, welcome back to the Bishy PE podcast. Uh, I think we're on episode three now, um, and we're joined today by Stuart Yule. Um, Stuart is a strength and conditioning coach with the Scottish International Rugby side. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning, Grant. It's actually afternoon, actually. Two o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> All, All that Sunday. I was, just, I, was just, I was just playing along. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're also joined again by Mr McHugh. Hello, Mr McHugh. Hello there. How are you doing? Right? More neutral colour this week. Looking good and great. So I've, had a, I've had a shave. I've had a bit of the sun, so I'm, I'm looking a wee bit fresh. Excellent. And hello to Mr Johnson. Good morning, guys. Good stuff. Um, so we'll kick off today. Um, thanks for joining us, Stuart. Uh, if you would just mind um, telling us a wee bit about yourself, where you're from, etc. Yeah, no problem. Um, well, I've been a bit all over, really. I was born in South Africa um, a long time ago now, and all my family's from Scotland, so we moved very young age back to Scotland. Um, we're in Scotland for just six years, and Dad's job moved us down to south of England. So I was at school in, in Newbury in the south of England from six until 18, and then when I was 18, came back up to Scotland for university, and I've, I've been back up here ever since. Yeah, superb. Um, you've kind of touched on about your school career, but can you tell me a bit more detail? Um, did you leave in what would be our fourth and fifth year, or did you stay on um, kind of until you're 17, 18? Yeah, no, I stayed on. I mean, it, it, obviously, it's slightly different in England with um, you know, um, GCSEs and A-levels, but I stayed on for my A-levels, which I left school at 18, so... Um, one school until I was, um, which GCSEs, equivalent of Nat Fives, um, and then I went to another school to finish my, to do my A levels, which was over two years. Um, yeah. So yeah, so it was it, just with kind of family and everything else, and, and, and probably a lot of people just did, did that in the school I was at. So um, yeah, it was a natural course to take. Yeah. Um... What was your favourite subjects in school? And was there anybody potentially at school that was a kind of influential teacher or an influential role model for you throughout your school career? Um, it's not really a stage question, but PE was, um, I would say, yeah. my favourite subject. Um, yeah. My dad was an engineer and he said he could uh, help me out with my maths and I was tend to have a, be, be good. It just it came quite easy to me. So maths just, you know, it's not easy for everybody, but that for me was a subject I could just do and go yeah. like um, but in terms of enjoyment and getting stuck in it was PE and I think in terms of the PE teachers I had at the time that, that made it as well they you know this would have been back in um, you know, the 80s and late 80s and um, early 90s and um, I've been away from school a long time so I'm not sure how, how school sports are in PE but you know it was fortunate a range of sports, football, rugby, athletics, cricket, um, basketball. So we had a, a whole load of sports that we did. The P teachers were great. You know, they kind of, you know, they, they made it made it fun to, to be part of. We had school teams as well and, and, yeah. and sports. So, um, so yeah, so that, that was a big part of, of my upbringing and was, yeah. was um, say, my parents both went to the Commonwealth Games for um where mum was athletics and dad for weightlifting. So sport was kind of yeah. in the family. Um, so I've got a twin brother. So just being the same age, we're very competitive. And 
Um, if there was an argument, it'd be boxing gloves in the back garden. Uh, so, so it's, yeah, so it was a sport at school and PE at school was almost an extension of, of what life was a little bit about away from school as well. Yeah. You know, did you find that there was a, a little bit of added pressure because your parents were obviously involved with athletics and, and weightlifting that you had to be at the forefront? Um, not necessarily pressure. I think it, it because it was what we did and it was just the way we were brought up. Um, I think having a twin brother probably added the pressure because if he's doing well, I've got to do well. Um, you know, and it becomes competitive. And so, but I think, you know, that it, it was healthy. You know, this, if, if we progress at anything, there's got to be a little bit of challenge and yeah, pushed. Okay. And, um, and I think it just made it, it made it enjoyable. You know, you're not, not bored. There's, you know, we went to athletic club, went to the rugby club. Um, you know, there's just the table tennis club. It was say mum and dad's um, played squash on a Saturday, and me and my brother went along and played. I remember once I beat him and running down the corner afterwards with him chasing me with a racket because I beat him. But it's you know it was just it was just part of what we did, so it was normal for us, I suppose, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Just when you're talking there about your extracurricular activities, what was there anything particular that you kind of focused on at school, um, and was there any particular skills that you felt were relevant for the kind of working world? Um, school's such a long way away. It's racking, racking my brain a bit. Yeah. I, I think for me, it was everything. It was, you know, the academic side. And, and I say, I go back to maths and, um, you know, it's not everyone's favorite, but it taught me a little bit about, you've got to go through the processes, go through the stages, be patient. You know, it's not yeah. about the answer, you know, let, let's get the answer. No, let's get the stages right. We get that right. So maths kind of, kind of laid a, a foundation from just, working things out and problem solving. Um, and then say the sports side was was awesome from just having fun with your with your friends and, and being healthy and, and and as well it's a chance depending on how far you get. But for me so I, I went on to to do weightlifting. I went to a couple of Commonwealth games and, and just that journey of you get to travel or travel, see different places, um, you know, opens up a lot of opportunities to meet lots of sort of different people and have great experiences. Um, yeah. so, so school kind of, for me, it was, it was the enjoyable things, which you, you tended to do a lot of, but then all the other bits helped just to build a platform to then be able to do the things you want to do. So that's safe where I am now that, all, every every aspect, every you know, sciences, maths, um, English, you know, big thing now. With, you know, in, in terms of as I've evolved in my career, it's about communication and relationships with people. Um, and you know, that's not you don't study that in, in books. That's you know, forming relationships is cool. is working with yeah. people and, yeah. and getting on with people. Yeah. Okay, Stuart, so the next question is from me. Um, could you tell me just a wee bit about your journey into um, strength and conditioning? Mm -hmm. Well, as I say, I mean, I was fortunate with my upbringing sport-wise. Um, yeah. And then, and also fortunate with the time of me get, getting into strength and conditioning now within professional sports, across football, rugby, there's institutes of sport. Um, you know, you look at how successful Great Britain are at Olympic Games, they've all got strength and conditioning support. So now it's a, it's a massive um, part of athletes' lives is, is having that as a formal part of what they do. And 
but when I started, it was pretty very early in its in, as a career. Mm-hmm. A footballer, football teams might have had a fitness coach, which was maybe which was maybe the physio as well, um, and say a lot of athletes would have their coach would be their strength conditioning coach as well. So, so when I started, it was. Um, the Scottish Institute of Sport was in its infancy as well and so strengthening as a career was very much in, in its infancy so because of my background in weightlifting which is a you know one component of of preparation and technically having good knowledge I was you know, brought in very early just around that side of things um, but I didn't and I wasn't initially a, a strength conditioning coach I say I went to university actually say, you know, if you're talking about maths, I did maths first time around at Edinburgh Union. I finished after three years and then I had a year out and then I wasn't, you know, for me, an area that I wanted to necessarily go further on. And I then went back and did a degree in physiotherapy. So I went to Queen Margaret University College in Edinburgh and did physiotherapy because for me, it's a vocation. It's whether you work in sport or not, it's got a lot of value. Um, It's exercise based. It's it's you know it's not necessarily a lot of physios will treat, but you know the real difference you can make with people is through exercise. And so I did four years uni, then graduated, and and then I got a job pretty much straight away at uh, Falkirk Football Club with um, John Hughes, and he was the manager at the time. And you know, most people went to the NHS, but I was you know the opportunity came up, and I I took it. Um, yeah. I did a year there, which was great, and you know, enjoyed my time there. But an opportunity came up with the Scottish Institute of Sport and Strength and Conditioning. And I thought if I was, as a I thought maybe ten years down the line as a physio, if the opportunity came up, I'll probably would have gone for it. So I thought let's go for it now. Again, fortunate enough to get it in the Scottish Institute as um, you know the lead strength and conditioning coach for the west of Scotland as a region, and led on badminton and judo as nationals in Scotland and. A lot of multi-sport, a lot of athletics, swimming. Um, we had football came in at that point as well. They got some support from the Scottish Institute at the time, hockey. So that opportunity came up then. Um, and so that, 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 that was the start of my career, really, in, in strength and conditioning and moved to the English Institute of Sport, worked with the, the British judo team up to the Beijing Olympics. Um, and then a short period with GB Hockey, worked with some track and field, and then came up to, um, that, say, that was down in England, that last bit of my career. And then I came up to Scotland, back up to Scotland in 2009 to work with Glasgow Warriors. Um, and was with Glasgow Warriors for eight years before transitioning into the, the national team. So it's, I'd say the, the, the journey for me has been, been excellent. Um, and, you know, there's ups and downs, but it's, you know, if it was, if I look back, you know, when I was a kid and said, "What would you want to do?" I'm kind of doing it, which is, uh, you know, is a pretty privileged position to be in. Yeah. You were just mentioning there, just obviously you've got huge experience there, and you've worked with a variety of different athletes from different sports. This is just a kind of personal question from me, but if you get, which which kind of sport would you say creates or ha- has Kind of best all-round athletes. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, my son's fourteen and loves his rugby and has got massively into basketball recently. And um, yeah. you know, we have discussions about who's the best athletes. And you obviously the, the, saw the Last Dance on Netflix. With, that's actually uh, the reason I brought it up. Yeah, because I've yeah, been watching that. Um, you know, there's there's phenomenal athletes. I think 
it's the same when it comes to strength and conditioning. People define what being strong is or what being fit is. It's specific to the sport. You know, sports are so unique in their demands. It gets to that level that, you know, you take a, the best bastard, Michael Jordan, and put him on the rugby pitch, he wouldn't last. But you take the best rugby player, put him on the basketball court, he wouldn't last. So you take them out of their environment and you put them in another one, they look like amateurs. So, and, so yeah, so it's, it's difficult. I think, you know, each of the, you know, any elite sport, you know, it's foot, the best footballers in the world, best rugby players, best basketballers, they're, they're all tremendous athletes. And if they started younger in that sport, they'd have probably made it in another sport as well. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great question. And it's, I think it's, that, that's one thing that working in all the sports has taught me, though, is that, is that they are so unique and you, and you have to really master the sport to, to excel. And then the physical bit you know, comes underneath it to, to allow you to do it to that level. Um, but yeah. Okay, so my next question then um, is about your school and university. So or, or your time at school and university, did you have any part-time jobs, either at school or university? And then a kind of side question to that, do you think, again, these help develop some skills which have helped you to be successful in, in your current yeah. career? Um, when I was at school, I just did a paper round. Um, you know, it was delivering, there was the free paper, so it was, you know, get around it as quick as you can. And did you get some good tips, Jack? No, it was free, so I didn't get anything. <laughs> I, got, I got a couple of quid for, um, for it, but um, you know, I wasn't astute enough to actually go to the one to get whatever the, the ones people pay for. Um, but yeah, no, that, that was it during, um, during my school years. Um, so it was, you know, we're away every weekend doing sports and just everything like that. So it didn't lend itself too much time to, to have a part-time job. And then prior to going to university, I worked um, through the summer just in, in Sainsbury's to get some cash for, for uni. Um, and then when I was at uni, and I'd work every summer, some some job, it was a, you know, selling dish towels rounds, industrial estates one summer and packing telephones one summer. Um, and then um, during uni, I worked at the Edinburgh University Sports Centre just as a, just as an attendant, just again, it was where I was training. Um, my flat was right next door, you know, Again, just that kind of environment was was good to be in. So yeah, so to kind of do stuff just to keep, get some money and um, and I think it in terms of the value, I think it's extremely valuable. Like you, you know, athletes now probably when they're going to go straight from when some of the guys we work with have gone straight from school into an academy into a professional environment where all they've done is their sport and. Um, you know, I think it's important to to earn the you know to realise the value of, of money and have, what you have to do to kind of earn it. So, um, so yeah, I'd, I'd you know, I said my kids when they're kind of older, it'll be encouraging them to not just expect things to be given and yeah, um, yeah. So it's crucial. I think it's it's that's you know, the way the way we live. We have to we have to, to work hard and, and and earn some earn value through through what we do. Definitely. Yep. Is that me now, aye? Yes. Yeah, I've got a good question. Um, obviously, last week we spoke to Graham Jones, who worked at the, the SFA, um, who was in the high performance. So, pretty much a very similar role. 
But the very first question I asked them was, what was what the sports science? But what is strength and conditioning? Is it exactly yeah. what the term says? Yeah. Now again, great question. The, 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 I suppose the the title strength and conditioning has come from America. You know, they've had strength and conditioning within NFL teams, basketball teams, college teams. So, and it is as you say. On its strength training and it's the conditioning that, that goes with it. So we could call it anything, you know, fitness fitness coach, physical preparation. A lot of people call it athletic preparation, athletic performance. So basically, it's it's the it's all the things, all the physical part that underpin the sport that that you're playing. So um, so for rugby, for example, we've got a prop forward that's that's big and strong and has to push things, big heavy things. You've got your backs that have to be quick and run around. So they've got need to work on speed. So it's it's taking the performance, the technical performance, and then breaking it down into what are the components of the, the physical that make that up. And then it's, you know, my role will be to work on those components. So I do very much see my role though as being how they perform on the pitch. So my job doesn't end that oh, I've got them quicker or I've got them better or I've got them stronger. It's got to transfer, so so it's it's very much engaging in 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 the whole process. So it's the physical performance on the pitch that matters to me. Now, now that that means that you know some a lot of the physical parts are developed by the coaches and how we train. So if we train, if we get really quick, you know, just in speed training, but we train really slowly, we're not going to play quick. So or have have high tempo in a game. If you know if, if we get a, proper or forward really strong but they never do any scrummaging and they they're going to lose a, lose the scrum so so it's the same in all sports you know again working in judo you can get them as strong as you like but they don't have the technique to transfer it and that ability and that feel on the mat then it's it, it doesn't matter so so yeah so it's it's the underpinning components it's for me the way i look at it sometimes it's, it's giving them the potential to perform it's not going to define how well they perform there's just so many other layers that it kind of mesh together to to produce a performance on a given day. Can we just say, Stuart, that the, the kind of training programs that you would create for athletes is very tailored to them then? Because I watched, I think I watched a video that you were in and it was a, a front row player and he was lifting weights with yeah. his neck, probably weights that I couldn't lift my full body. Yeah. I just didn't know if that was just something very specific to him in his position. Yeah, no, there is definitely. You're absolutely right. There's... Um, yeah, I mean, it's say every position's got a, a demand. So even the, even then, individuals, you can break it down to so the position has a demand, sport has a demand, the position has a demand, um, and then that individual has got their own individual requirements. As in, you know, you take the simple example of the of a forward who has to be strong, but he he might he might already be really strong, and that's not going to add to his performance. But he needs to improve on his speed or his power, so he needs more more of a power focus or he might not be able to repeat those efforts he needs to work more on his, his repeat um, effort ability his conditioning side of things so so it's very much to to the individual um, otherwise yeah and it's got to work for them come the come game day of the competition see in terms of the organization of that I mean like I think I speak behalf of Scott and Grant here but having 30 kids and try to plan for them is hard enough but if you get 30 Athletes in front of you, and all thirty have got a, a personalised program. 
one person's working on this, one person's working. How do you manage that? How do you, yeah. you organise that within that setting? Yeah, and it's a great question in terms of, you know, it, it's difficult. And I'd say that when it comes to the reality of what that looks like, some people will be on the same program. Mm -hmm. and so you'd have, it'd be more that planning stage of, right, this is our team. This is, you've got five players who are lacking a bit of conditioning, five players are lacking strength. These guys need to work on speed, right? There's a program. And then within it, you know, went back to some stuff I said at the start about relationships got a relationship people talk about coach athlete relationships and having a relationship that the, the player has that input into I, I need to work a bit more on this and that helps manage a group of players that it's not just me telling you need to do this you need to do that you need to do that they've you know one of the things that I've tried to do and part of the teams that I've, I've worked with have, have worked hard so the coaches have worked hard is it's just that ownership so if, if a player is going to make progress, they have to have ownership of their program. If, if they continually get told what to do all the time, they're not really going to re reach their potential. They have to understand what they're doing. They, ha they have to think about what, what they need. So that's an integral part to, to managing that. It's, it, otherwise, it would be impossible just to write 30 different programs. Yeah. I'd, I, if I'm writing a training program, you know, sitting here in my house on any given day, that could be redundant as well because of how that athlete has woken up that morning or how they feel, they may feel I'm really sore. So we have to modify continually, um, you know, even beyond the individualization of our, of a program. And, and for that, so for that to be effective, it's that athlete has to be really engaged with it, which, which is what you know, is part of, I suppose, the, the environments and the cultures we try and create um, yeah. where we are. Obviously, you touched on it there about ownership in terms of the quality, but is there any other qualities that, that certain players have in order to become a professional rugby player? Obviously the yeah, um, it, it, in many ways the word sounds simple, but it's hard work is underpins all of it. Again, if you're watching the last dance, the amount of work that someone like Michael Jordan put into getting to be the best, it's it's 24 hours we we see them for you know, you know if we're full-time in you know, Glasgow with Scotland it was from camp with afternoon training so we got a lot of contact time but the actual training time is maybe you know three hours total within a day you know we've got another 21 hours which is is theirs to to manage and and that's still it's not hard work in a, in a in an effort, in a physical effort perspective, it's making sure their food's right, it's making sure they do their recovery, uh, making sure they get enough sleep so that the next day they can they can take those steps forward. So hard work underpins it. Um, and on top of that is consistency. So it's it's not just doing it once, it's doing it week on week on week on week. Um, so so those two things for me are, are, are kind of probably either been developed and you know, some of the top players are young in terms of how they've brought up. And then it's it, it's almost harnessed, if you like, by their drive to want to get better and and to win. And um, so it does become a daily regime, if you like, of, of, of getting on with things. And, and, and saying that, you know, it's, it's, for them, it's, it's, it's what they want to do. So, so they work hard at it to, to get yeah. it. 
like obviously you spent eight years with Bad Warrior, is that right? Yeah. Oh, I would imagine that was a sort of day to day basis, that's correct. Yeah, so that was yeah, it's full time. Um so she obviously now that you've moved to the, the, the international setup, is it a bit yeah. more challenging then going from that day to day, seeing the guys on a day to day basis, then maybe only seeing them maybe not yeah. in the case or the Six Nations or the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's a completely different role. I mean, I, it's, it's more of a, you know, it's a, a management role, if you like, in terms of just managing, looking at data going to the two pro teams, spending time with them, understanding what they're working at on. So there's, there's, and then I'm an S&C coach when it comes to those, to those peers. And the biggest difference as well is we only get them for short periods of time. So we get them coming into, which is a pretty um, heavy competition period with one week before the six nations. So we're not going to be training massively. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be introducing, you know, a fitness regime or anything that's going to take them away from performing on, on a Saturday, so so it's a it's a very different role. Um, so yeah, and then obviously the Warriors, it's it's day to day. You 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 might not because you're in seasons. Most of the year, you don't want to add new things to them, but you can plan ahead a lot longer. You can say, right, let's rip feed this you know, a little bit of speed work in that in eight weeks' time we'll start to see the benefit. Whereas we don't have that that luxury internationally but the fortunate thing is in Scotland there is only two pro teams so and we and most most of the players that play for Scotland are at those teams two excellent strength conditioning coaches there they've got great setups at both teams um, and and so that my position is, is very fortunate and so they do a great job with them so my question out to myself is are they prepared for international rugby and so I'll look at a lot of the monitoring data liaise with, with the two teams um by and large, they're they're doing an excellent job there. That that means that, that we get players in, in great condition when they come to us. Just this is a personal question. I feel like if I'm at the questions here, sorry. Um, in terms of what you're planning, how much do you need to um, liaise with the Gregor Townsend? Does he come to you and say, right, I need this, or do you go to him and say, this is what we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. No. yeah, I mean, ultimately, Gregor has been head coach. He will set how he wants us to play, what his tactical model is of how we're going to win games. Um, and the fact I've worked with him at Glasgow as well, we've got an excellent relationship in terms of I know what he wants without us necessarily having to meet to discuss it now. Um, but he, he will set that over, you know, overview of, of what he Because now internationally, but much of the all well, you know, ninety percent of the work, ninety-five percent of the work is about the rugby. It's, it's guys coming into a new environment to learn new plays for an upcoming game. Um, you know, get the cohesion to, to 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 work together. So, so it's very much my my kind of role is almost that planning of the week to maximise it physically. So let's have a heavy day, light day, heavy loading, and that say that's so it's led by Gregor from a this is how we want to play, and then I'll then you know have have that element of planning around well what can it look like for, for us to deliver it. Um, but back at a club level it's it's pretty much the same. There's a winning template as to right, what's going to win a rugby game. So it's outstanding defence for example. So then I'll be underneath that how physically do we need to support that? We need to have a capacity to to defend for 
you know, for, for four minutes if need be. Um, we need to, you know, to have a dominant tackle. We need to have excellent lower body power. So what does our week look like to develop these things? Um, we need to taper all, obviously, to into a game. So, you know, what, how much loading should we have on each day that means that we're, we're going to be prepared on, on the weekend and then feed that back to Gregor as well. So if there's, a, you know, there's, if there's a particular day we need, you know, it's a crucial training day, but someone's, you know, done massive amount of, you know, from GPS, a load of running, they've had loads of contacts, communication there is like you know he's had a big week he might not have the capacity to have, have a, an excellent session or it's you know well let's cut, pull him out for 10 minutes the last 10 minutes doesn't need to do that that bit so there's so this you know that that communication is happening happening daily so um yeah but it's it's it's, it's, it's my philosophy and strength and conditioning as well i think initially strength and conditioning you know, as i said way back when it first became a, a career and you had strength and conditioning coaches had sports science degrees and you know, had all had all the knowledge almost that led the process. Um, whereas it it can't lead the process. The sport has to lead the process. What are you trying to achieve on the pitch? And uh, within the football world, as um, Mourinho has kind of popularised a, a tactical periodization, which is the, how the physical is done within a tactical situation so if we want to have speed it's not a speed training session away it's how can we integrate that within football so the so so that so that's football leading how you how you need to train um rather than being the you know what do we need physically i've just got one last week question what would you say is that the best part about working within the strength and lifting sector of the industry itself um I mean, the best part is I still don't see it as a job. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, you're kind of working with with the best, say, from my perspective now, the best rugby players in Scotland, and potentially the best, some of the best rugby players Scotland has ever had. Which, as I say, is a privilege to to be able to do that and to help them reach their goals. So that's, I'd say, kind of headlines it, and you know, it's. Yeah, it's just an environment which is is always about getting better. It's varied, you know. To say my career has allowed me to work with different sports, different athletes, um, it's given me a great insight into just what performance is about when it comes to it. You know, it's working with say track and field athletes when it comes to speed. Like I understand what speed is actually about when people talk about what being powerful or quick is. Well, the judo players, you know, way to Japan with them and seeing the best judo players in Japan and how they, you know, went again, been into their situation. How do they develop their judo players? Um, you know, say now, in, now in rugby, it's you've got an athletes. Certainly, that's where I really enjoy rugby. It's it's it is so varied. You've not just got you know, seeing football and and out in Australia, you've got AFL. They're, they're running, the physical bit is running, the skill and the sport, you know, is, is determines how good they are, but the physical bit underneath of it is, is mainly running, whereas in rugby, it's running, it's contact, it's, it's you know, in a tackle, there's like a wrestle, it's, it's so it's really varied and, and um, that, that kind of keeps, keeps me engaged. Yeah. Superb. Um, you, you mentioned there, Stuart, about how you, you've been involved with hockey and judo. Uh, kind of rugby and football as well. Would you would you say there's a massive difference in terms of see the strength and conditioning kind of training uh, f- for the athletes in, in those sports? 
Yeah, there's differences in terms of how much time you would spend on activity or how much importance you would put on developing a, a quality, a physical quality. Yeah. So, for example, you know, training for just getting muscle mass, for example, for, for hockey isn't going to necessarily help them. It might hinder them because they'll get heavier and become yeah. less efficient. Um, football, you know, the same. Whereas for a, a rugby player, it might might be what they need to do. Um, yeah. But it, you know, in terms of we take it back to you know layers again. If I see a strength conditioning, it is the foundation. So if we want to be quick, in order to be quick, we need a good strength to weight ratio. But to develop that, we need to get stronger. Um, so strength plays a part. So so very much the pillars: strength, speed, power, um, anaerobic or aerobic conditioning are are all there within each of those sports. But it's it's how important they part they play within it. Um, and then the other difference is just what we're preparing for. So for example, judo will go through periods we'll have maybe a competition, but it won't be every single weekend. Yeah. Um, whereas obviously rugby, football, you've got games week in, week out for a long part. So it's how we're how we're conditioning athletes there. Um yeah. you know, track and field it's you know, through the summer, there's there's some events, but they've got long winter periods where they can prepare. So, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's similar. So you might, if someone's stronger, you need to do some strength training on and that way that you strength train a hockey player yeah, is going to be similar to how you'd strength train a rugby player, but how much time you spend on it and what other exercises you might do will, will vary. Yeah, superb. Just, just a wee personal question from me, Stuart, if you don't mind. Um, has there been any 5K challenges happening with any of the national sites? <laughs> um, we've, um, we've had a wee 5K challenge in the department. Um, right. You'll probably see Mr McHugh hasn't mentioned that yet. Um, <laughs> seeing as though he came last, but it'd be interesting. Well, to see it, sure. he, just, he just outright denies it even. So, so, so what, times, what, what times are we talking about here for? So Mr Johnson uh, came in with an 1837. Oh, that's um, pretty good, eh? Me, uh, I was 18.55, I think, Mr. Johnson, and Mr. Yeah, McHugh. I was an official, official 19.25. Official 19, uh, well, I, 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 I would say they're all out of any sort of league that, that we'd have a 5K. There's, um, there's a few people on Strava just now, and um, some of the staff and management, our physio is, is quick, but he's, he's probably a 20-minute. Um, he went for it. Um, yeah. Superb. We've got a few players are out there, kind of get running the streets. Just obviously at the moment, with with not being able to do much. But I'd say yeah. those scores are are probably going to be well ahead of, of some of the, the guys that we've got doing it. I'd probably say, to be fair to the youngs, I think it's very flat, isn't it? And it's some of it's probably downhill. But that probably helps as well. Yeah. Wind behind us, trip. <laughs> yeah, well, that's 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 the best way to do it, isn't it? <laughs> I used to, was used to was, we had an anti-gravity treadmill at, at Glasgow and so when I'd um, used to go on it just for you know do a bit of running and it was superb taking my body weight down to about 60 kilos and um, and running you know it was it felt felt beautiful just being able to run it run it that way but we got some guys who are pounding the street 120 kilos body weight which I'm yeah. not sure um, you know hopefully we, we get back to some training soon because it's it's not necessarily the best for the big boys to be doing that. No. Hey, can I ask a question, Stuart, just about what, what you would say the 
kind of or one particular highlight of your professional career has been so far, if you were to choose one? Apart from doing this podcast, obviously. Uh, well, <laughs> after this podcast. Well, that's up. That's up there. Um, difficult to choose one. I think you know the, the time I had at Glasgow was great, and we won the the Pro Twelve at the time. It's called Pro Fourteen now. Yeah. And that Pro Twelve because we at the time we'd been in the playoffs, so it was fourth. It was we were third. We got to the final year before where. We lost the final, so we were second and we were first. So it was a real journey, and the players at the time, um, you know, was Cal- Al Kellogg was a captain. Is Al Kellogg an ex Bishop Briggs? Yes, yeah. Right. yeah. So, I, I think we should actually can we, can we call Al Kellogg out at this point and maybe find out <laughs> Yeah, I'm on. Um, but he, so he was captain and was instrumental in just driving the whole culture. Greg started as, as head coach there. and so that, I think, in terms of, uh, you know, when something you've worked hard at something over an extended period of time for it to come, you know, in terms of the goal is, is always a, is a big thing. So I'd, I'd say that is, um, was my first number one highlight. Um, you know, I'd say that you asked for one, but you know, in England at, at Murrayfield a couple of yeah. years ago was, was um, superb. But, um, yeah, I'd say, say that the Glasgow War is one putting the, the trophy. Okay. So we spoke, spoke about kind of highlights there. Um, and I think it's a really important message for the people is that everybody, no matter how successful they are, are going to experience some setbacks. So would you say that you've had any kind of setbacks within your career and then maybe as an add-on to that, did they help shape you and did, did you maybe learn from those? Yeah, I mean, i say my whole, my whole look, I, I tend to see that the glass half full rather than empty and um say my view on setbacks and and also my i suppose my personal standards are that i probably have them every day you know i'm not satisfied with that and we need to do better at that and um so i've not i've not had i've not you know i've not had setbacks in a hardship way i've been fortunate with my family upbringing and say worked hard and the jobs I've had so but from our from daily review of what I do I look at getting better and say some of the things I saw up to so mentioned you know working for British Student up to 2008 and it was, it was a it was a big learner for me and more around how I approached my job we had a, a period of time where we could have we planned training as how we thought was going to be best and took the, the, the athletes out of their judo environment, say, like, let's, we have a long time to prepare, let's just do some conditioning and fit as we can, strong as we can, um, and then take them back on the mat. And when they went back to the mat, they just felt they'd lost their feel and their technical side. And there was still time to Beijing, but it kind of taught me that we don't take athletes out of their environment, that they yeah. need, you know, a swimmer never stops swimming, a you know, runner never stops running. Um, and it's the same then going and taking that into rugby, it's, you know, Again, previously, as I said, S&C might have just led processing. Well, let's just do six weeks of just S&C and we don't touch the rugby ball on this. And, and for me, it's a big no-no. Like it's, and that was, that was a big lesson professionally. Like let's, whatever the sport is, that has to be a, a main pillar of, of consistency and working on technique and skill. And there's so many aspects to, to performance that if we remove a part of it, then we're going to, we're going to not be as good as we can if we, we look at how we can keep things keep things integrated. Um, 
you know, but then little things as well. Like if, if an athlete gets injured in the gym for me, like it might, these things happen, but I'll look at it critically and go, what could we have done better? Yeah. You know, yeah. a couple of instances where, you know, maybe a weight's fall on someone's foot. Um, that, that could be, yeah. fortunately it's not happened to, be, to, to an extent of being someone's career, but it could be. So let's, have we set up the safety, right? Have we explained to players? Have we inducted them properly? So it's, it's, so all the time, any sort of mistake that I've made or has happened, and whether I deem it as, oh, it wasn't my fault, but what could I have done to ensure that you don't allow for mistakes in the future? So it's always been learning, and that's that's been a big part of sport for me. And a lot of, if you speak to psychologists, will say the people that will win learn quicker than the others. So we can learn quicker, and that take that from us. A sports performance perspective, even from just little things, you know, just in and around the day-to-day job of being in the gym or out on the pitch, have we warmed up properly? Um, so it's continually reviewing that detail for me has been has been one thing that I've, I've learned over the years. Yeah. So in terms of um, like match days, obviously we spend the whole week preparing the draft from the game at the weekend. At what point do you but uh, I don't want to say, like, relax or switch off. Are you, are you still involved on the match day? Or is Monday night and then off? Yeah, no. Um, so match day, say my role match days, I say it's over to the players pretty much in terms of getting it right. And to the coaches, I'll have a part in that. I'm involved with um, almost the setup of, I suppose if you want to have a better word, the flow that there's, there's no interruptions, there's no distractions from a, it will interfere with a physical perspective. So with the kit man, making sure our changing room is set up properly, making sure with our nutritionist that our nutrition is, is out, our hydration. Um, you know, we will have some players that will do priming. So I've got, unfortunately, I've got um, other staff. So we've got an assistant S&C coach and a sports scientist. So we've got our GPS um, monitors. Sorry, sorry, I'll get my dad's birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there's there's a whole heap of different things that that we do on game day, and then it comes to the actual warm up side. So leading the warm up, not leading the warm up from a rugby perspective, but coordinating it from a timing perspective, making sure we're, we can stick to our times. Um, yeah. And that's that's not high pressure, but it's so say we only have 14 minutes as a team that we warm up for. The rest of the time it's individual. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that that that's kind of game day side of things. So it's not high pressure from a direct you know, involved with with the players to, to perform, but there's there's responsibilities that we have to make sure happen um, to to make sure they can perform physically. Half time, you know, making sure that. We need a bike in the changing room. So it's making, as I say, the flow. Make sure that we don't have any excuses from a player not being able to perform physically. Um, yeah. If they need, if they need something, we've made sure they've got it, um, and that's planned ahead of time. It's not, it's not necessarily reacting to yeah. it on the day, but you know, given something, we should be in a position to react. Okay. I've got another sort of personal question. Apologies about the delivery there. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but the. The Japan World Cup was, was pretty recent, something that anybody that's maybe watching this uh, today will be aware of. What was that like being involved with um, in terms of... Yeah. 
it was great to be involved. In it. It a long time to reflect now. There's this disappointing from how we performed and what, what you know the, the outcome of it for us is a um, you know especially for the players and there's a lot of work went into it and you know, felt that well it wasn't what we wanted to achieve from our performance perspective. Um, you know, but it's like anything. There are positives in terms of we're better now and we've learned from that and there's things that we've done putting in place now so all the time we're looking at how we've how we review that so so there are big positives from that but from an experience perspective superb i mean japan was a great place to be we'd experienced um you know typhoon an earthquake um going on the bullet train from city to city um the japanese people were, were absolutely phenomenal in in welcoming and getting things right for us so you know, as far as experiences to have, you know, it's, it's another one which you know you, I can look look at and look, look fondly at from from what I was involved with, and and to say the big thing for me is what we can learn from it and what we can take from it to to move forward. Which I think we we did um, in many ways with the Six Nations. See the the Tyson that you you'd mentioned. You think that had? I'm not really speaking specifically about the Scotland national team, but you think that had a big impact on players and their preparation for games? Yeah, well, it undoubtedly would have. I mean, I think it wasn't how we prepared. We normally the day before we do a team run on on the pitch um, at the stadium. We did it in our in our ballroom in the hotel room, and um, so so that's not normal. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it was different. You know, if we say other teams would have been the same, so you know, there was no competitive advantage for anyone. It was there, so it was definitely different. But I think that's the thing with sport now. It's um, a high-performance sport. It's the ability to deal with yeah. situations. And, um, you know, it's, it's a quote that, I can't remember the exact quote, but Darwin talks about evolution and... You know, it's not the strongest or the most intelligent that survive. It's the ones that can adapt, survive. So, if we look at look at that as a as something, then who can adapt best to these situations and and still still perform? And you know, again, going back to the last dance and Jordan, it's pretty evident there that um, you know they talk about being present and you know what's behind you is being. So there, yeah, there was a typhoon yesterday, but we're here now and we're here today, and we've got a job to do today and. That that's that shouldn't affect you. There's you know there's a lot of stuff as well around from a physical side. You know what what determines fatigue and what do, you know someone's maybe going out for a run and this might relate to you guys five k. But you know the central governor theory and you know what actually slows you down. It's not it's not your muscle fatigue. It's it's what your brain's telling you. Um, so so again, that, that's me too. <laughs> that, that would slow you down then. <laughs> I must have had a late night the night before. <laughs> so these are all things which you know I think we, we need to look at if when we come to a game day did we perform or not and it was because of something well you know our, our mind's very powerful so I think we we're always able to do what we think we maybe can't do but if we put us up, put our mind to it it shouldn't matter if there was a you know it's extreme if there was a typhoon the day before yeah, it was there. It's gone now. We can play. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. <coughs> do you think, um, in your current role, Stuart, do you think that's really, like, the pinnacle of your career? Could you, where would the avenues be to move on if, if ever that yeah. was? Yeah. Would you be happy staying? 
Yeah, no, definitely happy, happy staying. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, this is, I'm passionate about sport and what sport can do for people. Um, I'm passionate about Scotland and and want, you know, Scotland to be seen as one of the best teams out there. Um, so I'd I'd want to stay and and see that journey through and you know however long that is is sometimes not up to me but um yeah. you know it's definitely you know and and also uh, I suppose in a, a, a bigger picture it's it's how what that can do to affect other things obviously you guys you know Bishop Briggs and that how what we can do to make sure that everyone wants to be healthy everyone wants to play sport everyone wants to you know from a rugby perspective more people want to pick up a rugby ball um so that, that that's that's a kind of a higher aim you know my direct roles with the national team and you know the, the my ultimate accountability is how they perform but um i think it's important to have a little bit of a higher purpose if you like around what, what why 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 really am i doing it? you know i've stolen going to lose rugby games but for me it's you know, I want say I've got a fourteen-year-old and a ten-year-old. I'd I'd want them and their kids and their kids to be grown up in a country that just loves sport, is healthy because they're just engaged in physical activity and they see rugby's one one of the sports that has almost brought attention to that. It's what I think for Johnson. You you back up here. We've had a, a similar conversation. Obviously, our sports have been football, but. I think over, I wouldn't even say the past five to ten years, maybe the success of the Scottish rugby team has seen yeah. more kids involved with, with, with a rugby setup rather than a football setup. Yeah, I would yeah. say probably overshadowed it a wee bit. Ah, uh-huh. rugby yeah. over football. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, which is obviously like, like a good thing in, in, in terms of for rugby because I certainly think that. Yeah. It has really taken off yeah, in the last five, ten years because yeah. of the success compared to yeah. the not so success yeah. of the football team. Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's like what, what comes first and, you know, what drives, you know, popularity. And obviously, media and things doing well and, you know, like, um, like Scotland now in terms of world-class players like Stuart Hogg, it's, it brings attention to to a sport and you know at Murrayfield I'm not sure how many games it's been now but the last certainly since um, I started in 2017 and Gregor started in 2017 I think it's been sold out um, every game so so there's there's definite interest and I think you know it's testament to to, to the players that are working hard now and the, the professionals in the sport but it's you know in in other ways, for me, I sometimes hear it's not all about performance, and I completely agree it's not about performance, but we've got a responsibility to do that really well in, in my scope of my job now, so that it does hopefully influence others, but we also need to work hard at making sure we've got just kids playing sport. My, one of the best experiences I've had was we went to Fiji um, on tour, um, and we went to a primary school, and every kid... So just playing fields, there was however many kids out just playing rugby with a you know and it it was rugby in a sense of it had a rugby ball but they were kicking it they were but the thing there was no no coaches no cones no rules it's just out playing some kids had shoes others didn't and you yeah. just looked at it just the simplicity of of sport um, 
and and I think you know for me it's that if we, that's you know the money's in professional sport, but that's where we need to put our efforts because that then allows the again fortunate privileged position guys like me to have have a job because if people aren't picking that ball up at six, then they're not going to have yeah. anyone to to work with at this level. So. Am I right in saying that the, I think Fiji, were they world champions at sevens at one point recently? Yeah, they were Olympic, well, they won the Olympics at sevens. Um, and then they've, you know, for, for years they've been, you know, they've been one of your number one nations. Um, they're just phenomenal athletes. We had um, Mikumata Walu, who's still at Glasgow, and Leone Nakarao, who's at Glasgow, and two great guys. And, and you can see how, you know, just their environment they've grown up in, just love. You just play offloading, you know, with Nico who plays from half and on the wing, so just quick player. But you know, as SNC coach, we think, oh, we'll teach someone agility, or we couldn't teach Nico agility, he'd be teaching you. It's just from such a young age of playing, and I think that's that's the importance for me is we, you know, we're getting kids, kids doing more of that, then um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be in a better position. Because I think it was actually a video we showed across the department to some of the classes, and it was the Fiji. I think it was kids as well, but also the national team. It was like the sand dunes. They're running yeah, up yeah, sand dunes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, no. yeah, no, they they've, they did well at Olympics, and so they've they've got a lot of world class players um, that could um, add value to any team. Finisher, is it? Yeah, I think we're on to the finisher now, Mr. McCute. Finisher, so um, obviously, strength and conditioning coach, if you were to select three athletes from any um, from any sport, past or present, who would it be and why? Three, three athletes for just... If you were to be their strength and conditioning coach. All right. Other than Mr. McHugh, Mr. Johnson, and Mr. Oven. <laughs> Work on the 5K times. Um, yeah, again, it's probably cliche, but I've probably coached them in the sense of, you know, we've got people out there who would be nice to coach, like a Michael Jordan, but they're so unique. You know, yeah. I talked to Nico Matawal in terms of his agility. It's like, what can I give these guys? They've got... You know, they, they're blessed with um, phenomenal ability and, and um, physical ability. Um, but for me, it's been people I've worked with who have just worked hard and have not just doing what I say, but have thought about it. So in judo, I worked with Ewan Burton, um, who won the Commonwealth Games 2014, is now the Scottish um, national judo coach, someone that's worked hard. Um, and yeah, he's someone that you know I've, I've enjoyed working with and, and that place like that um you know in terms of rugby you know it's I don't really want to mention names in terms of you know but there's players out there that you know like Pete, peter horn for example and chris fazaro who 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 work extremely hard but that list is endless you've got johnny gray yeah. Rob harley just guys that just to just continually want to improve and, and work hard so it's it's difficult to to pick to pick three if I, if I think about other it's the, I could be endless you know there's you know within 
other other sports. Don't know, it's a tricky one. But every everyone I think of though is, is just a tremendous athlete without me. You know, I think of <laughs> you know, so it's, I'm not sure. I'd probably make them slower or or or, or add weight, which state means they're gonna get worse. I wouldn't wanna wouldn't, wouldn't wanna necessarily go near them. But no, I say my, my passion now is just on people wanna get better. I don't care if they're a star or they've whatever if if they fundamentally want to improve yeah. and they show that desire. I mean one thing that when I go in my kind of approach sometimes is not to give someone a program. You know, let, let's see what they do. Let's see how how they think about what they need rather than just straight away like there's a program. Now what what how are they thinking about what they need and and they're the, they're the people I enjoy working with. Um, so that could be you know help coach up at um West of Scotland um, well, it's going to be under 15s next year. So my boys under 15 help coach them. You've got some great kids there who want to want to get better. That's that's what I I, I enjoy working with. Um, as much as the you know the, the high profile athlete. That for me, that the high profile isn't the bit that interests me. It's the it's the bit that do you want to get better and yeah. are you driven to to get better? Yeah. Okay. Is that that was Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, no I, I just, on behalf of the, the P department, uh, Stuart, thanks very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, great to chat to you guys. Um, yeah, it's been really informative. Um, and a lot of really good information, hopefully, for our pupils. Um, so uh, thank you very much for joining us again. Be sure to follow us at Bishy P and be sure to tune in next week. Uh, we will be posting another podcast. So thanks very much again, guys. Cheers. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.